Okay, so let's just do the one, two, three. You ready? Okay. One. Two. No. It's <laughs> <laughs> the morning. Again, sorry. That's okay. Welcome to RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. This is a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. This week, Jared Rasher joins me. He writes game reviews for Gnome Stew and also for his own blog, What Do I Know? As GMs, we often have ideas for the kinds of games we want to run, but often we're not sure if the players will go for our pitch. In this episode, we discuss some specific game pitches, and we also talk about ways that we can take that idea and make it work. So it's time to grab your favorite beverage, grab a tasty snack. Sisters and brothers, it's time to get rambling. Hello, Jared. Hi, Jeff. How you doing? I'm doing quite well. Thank you for joining me on an early Saturday morning. <laughs> <laughs> on a nice rainy day, it would be much easier just to lay in bed and and snooze and and watch uh, Netflix. So and appreciate that I don't have to do the lawn. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you, Rain. <laughs> yeah, if you just you know that's the nice thing about procrastination. You just wait <laughs> long enough, problems solve themselves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> In fact, at work, that's one of the things uh, one of the coworkers learned from me. There's some things I've learned. If you just some things, you just learn to ignore. <laughs> and they'll just go away you can't do that with everything but sometimes it's like you know what this this is always going to keep showing up i'll just i'll just ignore it and see what happens so it just reminded me of office space no no yeah. we we quit hey, we fixed the problem <laughs> this will just work itself out <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> so we're going to do some we're going to talk about pitches and ideas and uh not sure where all this is going to go but uh <laughs> So it'll either go either last ten minutes or last uh, three hours and ten minutes or somewhere <laughs> between. So, so anyway, I think the idea is we, you had some ideas for thoughts about games, you know, and I think that I think we as GMs sometimes have ideas that we'd like to do and we don't always get a chance to do them, or sometimes we have ideas but we're not exactly sure how to best implement them, and so. We just we they kind of I think lie in the state where they kind of just churn, and we kind of look at them with sadness. <laughs> it's it's kind of like like those RPG books on our shelf that we never get to run, <laughs> and we know we'll probably never get to run, but we like to lie to ourselves, saying maybe one day I'll get a a group of people who'll be playing Twilight Two Thousand with me. <laughs> Someday someone would love to play this. Yes. <laughs> so, Jared, so what sort of thoughts do you have or pitches or ideas that uh, have been percolating? Um, I there's been like a couple different uh, things that popped to mind. Um, like for example, in uh, Star Trek Adventures, my one of my long term things that I would love to do because I've run a, a Star Trek Adventures game, really enjoyed it. 
but I kind of wanted to do like a, a Starfleet Academy thing where everyone is cadets and maybe people have like teachers as their secondary characters that they could pull in. And of course, you know, they have weirder things going on than normal cadets would have to deal with and all of that. And I thought, I don't know if the rules support this. I don't know if people would enjoy playing these slightly less competent cadets than, you know, the regular crew of a, of a starship. But I've always liked that idea of kind of showing people in the process of becoming these super competent, you know, deck officers that you see in the, uh, the Star Trek shows. That's when one of the things that's kind of lodged in my brain ever since the concept of a Star Trek RPG uh, first occurred to me <laughs> well i i know this is gonna sound weird i don't have that much experience with masks <laughs> but it kind of almost sounds in some ways i mean because masks is what superheroes who are teenagers but mm-hmm. really it's more dealing with adults just messing with their lives right yeah <laughs> it's like <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's, that's actually that that is accurate <laughs> so is it possible do you think to hack masks in a way hmm. it is it is interesting because a lot of the playbooks and masks are actually more conceptual than they are you know like they're not it's not based around you project fire it's more based yeah. around you are a person that's not in control of you know this particular type of you know, you're naturally destructive or, you know, you know, things like that. Um, so that is an interesting angle to look at. <laughs> because I think once you pitch that, mm-hmm. it's playing mass. It's just they're already in for it. they they want to crank up the drama. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that definitely. Because, yeah, that's that's really what you want to see. It's not. It's, um, I forget the name of the episode, but it's the, you know, basically what you're trying to capture here is the same, you know, the same feeling you had in that one episode where, you know, Wesley really disappointed Picard by doing that, that, that maneuver that, that, you know, injured the one person and all of that. I am really selling that episode hard. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think the idea is, I think it seems to me that though I'm not watch a lot of this kind of genre but i think in general there's the idea of having to do things behind the uh adults back both Mm -hmm. for good reasons and maybe bad reasons too yeah yeah actually that that kind of i mean this is exactly what mask is for but that reminded me of you know like some of the new mutants run where they uh, started sneaking out behind the X-Men back all the time to go do something that they were afraid needed to be done that the X-Men weren't necessarily, it wasn't on their radar. Right. So I think there's a, that whole kind of, that's the tension that you want. So I, so it sounds like, you know, that would, could be a pretty easy thing to do. So are you, are you thinking about campaign? Or are you just thinking about like one shots? Um, I don't know. I, I think I want more of an arc. Like, I don't necessarily think it's going to be multiple seasons, but at least like an arc towards, you know, seeing who they are at the beginning of the year versus, you know, seeing who they are after they've had some of these challenges and and run through some things. So, I mean, almost almost maybe a precursor to a regular Star Trek adventures game where, you know, you know 
all of the stuff that they did before they ended up getting assigned to this uh, starship. Yeah, and I think a game two where you know, in a game where it's more probably forgiving for incompetence, it's probably better. Because mm-hmm. if you're young, you're not skilled, but but you still need to somehow make it fun or make it in such. I guess maybe you don't have the skills, but you just have to be more sneaky and and get around and lie about things, get people to do what you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think um, you know, especially like you were mentioning with BBTA, you have a lot of. Uh, you know, success at a cost coming up there that would be kind of good for showing that. Like, maybe if you were a fully trained Starfleet officer, you would have thought this through a little bit better, but what goes wrong when you manage to do the thing but not as well as you thought it should be done, you know? Yes. Well, or even that you, the way that you're, you're, that you're going to get by with this is stealing your mother's fob or your <laughs> the pass whatever like you steal the fingerprints off of uh, commander cody or whatever it may be <laughs> to get that access because you don't have the access you don't have the clearance you're not supposed to be carrying weapons yeah you know but that's maybe maybe the only thing you have access to is the weapons mm. you know what i mean it's like okay i gotta solve every problem with a laser <laughs> how am i gonna do this yeah, I don't. I don't have a tricorder. I don't have anything else. I just have this phaser that I managed to get. <laughs> yes. And I we have either, a diplomatic problem. Yeah, I could either stun, kill, or cut through metal. Uh, those are my only options. But it's Star Trek, so then you know, then, then you start tinkering with the phaser to do something that it's not designed to do. Oh, yeah, and that's where your your complication could come up too. Yeah. <laughs> It explodes in your hands and stuns you for a while. (laughs) And you forget Um, the last 10 minutes of your life. (laughs) The other thing is we were talking about this because, you know, masks is actually a really interesting avenue to go through with this too. And just make up playbooks. Honestly, the core masks thing, the core mask rules, like with um, influence and all of that and the not set stats would be really good for this and you could just write new playbooks that aren't flavored to sound as you know superhero-y as they are like different branches of starfleet or whatever whatever kind of background the character has um the other thing i was thinking and this is i have not spent nearly as much time with this as i have with masks but the other thing i was thinking of was looking at uh like tales from the loop I should have bought the, because they had them on sale through Humble Bundle. Mm -hmm. So I've looked through Forbidden Lands. I've looked through Alien. And I've looked through Mutant Year Zero. I played a little bit of Mutant Year Zero. I don't, it'd be interesting to see how they do that same type of general mechanic for Tales from the Loop. Mm -hmm. I, I know that it is not as granular as some of the other expressions of that system. Right. Which it shouldn't be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think in general, the way the mechanics work is it, it's the skill plus the stat as well. And generally, when you roll your pool, your chances of success, even for competent people, aren't that great. But you're given the opportunity to uh, re-roll, and generally that re-roll has the opportunity to create complications. Yeah, and that's what—that's kind of why I was thinking that might not be a bad 
thing to look at there too. Well, the thing I'll tell you though, if you were to go that route, uh, I'll just tell you that I don't say the danger, but at that point, then once they graduate, you're really looking at playing uh, Coriolis or, you know, you're going to be probably stuck in a system. Yeah. yeah. But that may not be a problem, you know, but I mean, but, you know, you're probably, once you've done that, then you're going to be playing Star Trek using, yeah, you know, that, which isn't a bad idea, but it's. But, but, but uh, I actually do like Star Trek Adventures. I'm just yeah, trying exactly. to think of a good, <laughs> yeah. a good way to do the the the, the prequel series. That <laughs> I guess you you can't do it too well. Maybe people be I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> what you need to do, but I, it, I've I've not played the Star Trek Adventures. I would like to. Mm-hmm. I just had a friend that played at the convention, actually Gamehole Con, the last one, mm-hmm. and he was pretty disappointed with. Uh, I think the module itself that was, or the venture itself that was presented. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's the the sad thing is, I I really loved it. I thought it did a really good job for Star Trek. Um, uh, the I did the uh, 2D20 system version of uh, Dishonored for a couple sessions, and that one was trickier because in Star Trek, your characters are set up to be pretty competent. Like there are still challenges, but like your challenges are ramping things up, which feels like an episode. It's like your security chief should be able to take down an average threat, but then all of a sudden when it's Borg, yeah, that's going to be a challenge. But in Dishonored, you don't have as high a stats (laughs) as you did in uh, Star Trek. And so my people were playing that and jumping into things thinking, Oh, this will be just as easy to deal with. It no, no. <laughs> yeah, you're right. But you know, part of that would be, I mean, because you're playing at a convention, mm-hmm. and so probably the expectations were not properly set by the GM. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that can really skewer <laughs> yeah. things. Well, and because I mean, it literally says in the Star Trek Adventures thing, it's like, don't tell people they can't accomplish something. Just try and come up with a difficulty for it because it's Star Trek. If you want to you know, try and change the warp nacelles on the shuttle to produce whatever, that's their solution to it. And, you know, that's the Star Trek thing to do is to... Yes. And I think it's a very pulpy and fun thing, but you, but I think what's also makes it generally as fun is you tell players, this is going to be difficult, but you also have the opportunity to create a complication mm-hmm. beyond what this even... Intent, like. Be prepared if this goes really wrong, this can go really, really wrong. Oh, yeah, and that's that's actually <laughs> another thing that I like that's built into the rules is you can tell someone, okay, you failed, but you could succeed if you accept this. Right. And I really like that, especially for Star Trek, because that's, you know, it, to me, that's that's really a lot of this, you know, like, we, we have the the mid-episode thing that we think is going to fix everything, but then we did it and it actually did fix this problem, but we find out that this is part of a bigger problem. Right. So you did use the engines to solve the problem, except now they're going to blow up unless you figure out another way of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think to me, that's one of the geniuses of the powered by the apocalypse technology. Oh, yeah. Probably the greatest thing is the idea is that you can give a players a choice if they fail, mm-hmm. you know, you can succeed, but at a cost, or some other thing will happen. 
You know, it doesn't have to necessarily stop. And especially, you know, in games where I think, so P- Powered by Apocalypse, if you roll enough times, it seems like the, the dice pool is enough that it can be somewhat forgiving. But in other games where it's like maybe D&D where things aren't so forgiving, you know, it, it, it does provide you that option. Okay, you, you, you didn't do this, but you, I will let you succeed, but this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and honestly, to some extent, when you start giving people options, you start realizing what, what kind of story they want to tell. And that's kind of interesting because, okay, I have two different convention stories, and I don't know how we got off on this tangent, but that's okay. <laughs> I have two different convention stories about running uh, Monster of the Week because I run that at conventions a lot. And in one, everyone just kept screwing up but it was glorious because it they were almost running their characters like they were monster hunters from different TV shows that all showed up at the scene at the same time. And nobody liked the Buffy analogy and <laughs> like they knew her. And sometimes they had been on some cases with her, but oh my gosh, she showed up here too. And, you know, then the, the, the Dean analogy was just like trying to like, bull through things and having things go wrong and it was just this glorious set of them like any one of them on their own show would have looked really competent but because they're all stepping on each other the way they were doing things it was kind of getting in the way of them solving the uh the actual mystery and and defeating the monster and it was great because a lot of that was driven by them but then (laughs) i had another session and people do not necessarily think, oh, you're going to have a lot of fatalities in, in a power by the Apocalypse game. But they kept making the worst decisions. And when I would clarify, okay, <laughs> if you want this to happen, this will happen. Do you still want that? Yeah. They went ahead and did that. They <laughs> had a group that were fighting zombies in a burning uh, police um impound area and they grabbed a gas tank to hit the the zombie turning it into a flaming zombie (laughs) and that session ended with um i think out of out of six characters four were dead one was ambiguously lost and one actually escaped and the one that escaped was like the government agent that was just like Oh my god! I can't believe these other people showed up to uh, yeah. deal with, <laughs> and that was all driven by how people were playing the characters and me also saying, "Okay, mm-hmm. you've decided to do this. This seems like a bad yes. idea. Here are your consequences. Would you like to still do this?" <laughs> and I had, you know, it's funny because I had a young. Uh, I'm I'm running a, a game for kids, uh, or at least trying to. Um, but there's a young kid, I, you know, there's some bad decisions. Like, are you want to do this? He's like, yeah. And then, and, uh, you know, like the deck of many things kind of thing. But this character, like one ended with his character's uh, throat swelling. And uh, luckily somebody had medical skill and rolled. So I said, okay, I just did a trach job on you. <laughs> and then the second time he was phasing in and out. So he tried walking through a wall. And the way it was set up was, you know, he just, I rolled and he phased into a wall and died. And he laughed and he was good and he moved on. You know what I mean? It's like, I took the, I knew the consequences. Or at least I knew this was, you know, dangerous and I died and I had fun. 
I think in some cases, to, to, to bring this around to a topic that we actually started on, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> some of these pitches, I think, um, I think we, as someone running a game, have a little bit better image of what they're supposed to look like, but we can't communicate them to the players. Yes. So then that makes us feel less confident about saying, we should try this kind of game because we're going, okay, I can't really explain it, but in my gut, I feel like it's going to be this way. <laughs> yeah, and I think the problem is, is they're going to always drive it. So if they're not on board the same train. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's, it, and that's hard. It is hard. So uh, is there, what's another pitch that you've got? Ooh, let's see. What else have I had that's, um, that is bumping around my brain? I'm looking around at like all of the things that I've half written. And, <laughs> um, so one of the things I would like to do, I got this, this is not so much a pitch as it is a thought. Okay, there's a, there's a, a paucity, I dare say, of, of good, Swords, uh, like we'll say, uh, Conan style sword and sorcery adventures. Mm-hmm. And then I, I had this idea. I think you could reskin. Okay, I think you can reskin D and D. Well, maybe some of D, but actually uh, not D and D, but science fiction adventures into a a uh, Conan style game. So, have you ever played the um, Volturna series in, in in Star Frontiers? I haven't played it. Um, I did have it um, when I had all of my Star Frontiers stuff. Yeah. So the idea is, you fight pirates, you crash on a planet, mm-hmm. you meet up with a group of people. Uh, they force you to do certain things to join the tribe. You're trying to find somebody lost. You go to another. You go across the desert to visit a group of people who are fighting the big bad guys, some big bad guys. Mm-hmm. And then you, there's a couple other people you try and um, you get to ally. You're trying to get separate groups to ally against an overall big threat that's coming. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you also have some alien ruins. <laughs> so, so there's travel across the desert. Uh, there's de- dealing with different groups. There's combat an old temple. And, and an ultimate big threat. And I thought, well, you could do something like that where you, you fight pirates. <laughs> <laughs> you, you land and you're trying to get, maybe not do the big bad Sathar, but maybe try to get everybody to kill the pirates. And maybe your job is to go to different locations because you're trying to find certain people that you need that you're lost. In this case, it would have been like some scientists or whatever. I can't remember who all that you're, you're trying to find. And it's like, I think that all kind of fits. Yeah, but I mean, also, even like thinking about the, the Sathar, you could definitely do like a cosmic horror thing there where it's like some sort of weird, you know, psionic entities that yeah. are involved in this too. It could just be that the Sathar are a, a large empire that where you're at is kind of like the, we'll say like the Middle East, where it's maybe smaller kingdoms against, say, like Persia. You know, or maybe the Sathar's like Persia, driven by some sort of, you know, you're right, some sort of elder thing or some sort of creature, and uh, and that that they're now a threat to the people there. 
So, you know, the, the, the problem I have where it seems like, oh, this actually does work is why would, how would I get the characters to care about bringing, you know, different groups of people negotiate against a common enemy? Yeah. And that's actually, that's a thing that I have thought about in a, speaking of pitches, you know, there's been a lot of D&D pitches where it's like, I kind of want to do like a black company type thing where it's all really like this gritty thing and you're all mercenaries working for this cause but how to do that and have people actually think they're going to have fun with it because on its face if you say no no don't worry it'll be D, but you'll just be given your missions and it'll it'll suck and you'll have lasting injuries and you might get infections <laughs> and die and it'll be so much fun yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, and I, now that we're talking about this, because I get myself worked up, but honestly, my group, I think all I have to say is this is the premise. <laughs> like, and I think maybe that's where we go wrong, where we feel as a GM, we need to start out with a long, elaborate plan to get characters yeah. on a, or maybe just say up front, this is the game. Are you on board or not? Mm-hmm. You know, these are some possible hooks. Figure out why your character is important to your character. Yeah. Um, I was trying to do like a city-based campaign. I, I was trying to keep from like designing things as much by myself so I could point to things and say, we're going to use this. And this is a while ago. And I was thinking, I want to do like a city-based campaign. And I threw out there, it's like, hey, I want to do this. And I threw all the things in a document like I normally do. And I was like, I'd like to do lasting injuries because I'm thinking like if we're doing this more grittier, you know, city based thing, you know, this is the kind of thing that would happen if, you know, you have like criminals clashing in back alleys and stuff like that. And like the players are just right out. It's like, no, if we're playing D&D, I don't want lasting injuries. I, I don't care if it's an optional rule in the DMG. I just that's not I, I like the 5e, you know you know general healing and hit points being the only thing i'm worried about and things like that and they were very much like no i that's too far from what i'm used to if we're going to play D, &D i don't want to do this if you can find a different system where that's like the baseline and i like that system maybe but not you know not as an add-on <laughs> i'm not making you promises jared <laughs> but what i am saying in the nicest way is i really don't want to do this yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> if if you find another system, and if I like that system, yeah, then maybe if you would like to do a lot more heavy lifting and then yeah. pitch it to us again, possibly in a PowerPoint, but not one that's too long. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, what I wonder is if you could uh, do something. I know that they said this is not what they want. But you could do something like fate and give people, let's say, aspects, mm -hmm. but they'd be negative ones. And then maybe you get so many points that generate and you can spend that, you know, like maybe every time they roll, maybe start out with three or four and every time they roll a one or whatever it may be, mm -hmm. uh, then you could use it. Or maybe they could use it for a positive and then you just all you're doing is then spending it and they get it, that negative aspect comes into play. I think that was that was the thing that I have been speaking of pitches and things that I've been toying with. That's actually I kind of like because there's several places in D and D where they actually throw this in there where it's like you know take a negative trait that says this 
and it doesn't really have much mechanical in it but the theory is if you're playing 5e the way it's kind of constructed if you play up to that trait you get inspiration for playing up that trait so now that they have that trait you can do that so it's a thing on their character and it's kind of up to them when they want to press the button yeah i think that's much better because i find that the inspiration mechanic i think on paper sounds good but in reality is actually a, it just doesn't work well the problem is it's a binary so if somebody has it and then they do a really good role playing playing up that flaw or that trait and they already have inspiration you can't give them anything else right and then you know it's what i was thinking of speaking of pitches and like from the mechanical standpoint i was thinking of having hero points as a um as a buffer so like if you already have inspiration and you do something that plays to your traits or your flaws you would get a hero point instead of inspiration and you don't start with any hero points, but I'll, that's kind of like the runoff for, for you know, once you have that filled up, you know, if you, if you still have your inspiration up. Yeah, and I think that the, the, the genius of the Cortex system is it incentivizes characters to actually throw negatives into oh, the yeah. rules. And they'll, yeah. they'll willingly set themselves up for potential future like mm-hmm. badness and uh and then you as a gym don't have to later on say i mean they they already know yeah they'll say yeah i want that d4 give me that d4 i need <laughs> i need points yeah i need, I need plot points <laughs> oh yeah definitely um i really yeah i oh my gosh i if i start going down the road of talking about playing marvel heroic <laughs> yes but i i think the idea is with the, at that point, it as far as characters managing their, they'll say their disadvantages. I as a GM don't have to do it. That's the problem with the hero system and a lot of these others where I have to remember mm-hmm. and then I have to implement. Where yeah. it's like, no, it is all on the characters and they're incentivized to use it. And I think that's the same thing going with the the year the year zero engine. Is that in general, if you roll ones, that's what triggers something negative happening. Mm-hmm. But on your first roll, there are no consequences for rolling ones. Mm-hmm. It's only when you want to re roll. Yeah. And so at that point, you know, it's like, <laughs> let me try this. Sorry. Again. You know, it's well. like, <laughs> <laughs> and you could, you know, seriously, uh, a character could roll ones because when you get a reroll, you don't get to reroll your ones. Mm-hmm. So you could technically, a character could roll ones and say, I know I can't reroll these ones, but I'm going to go ahead and, and reroll the other dice because this is an important scene. It's important that I win and I'm willing to to take whatever consequences mm-hmm. there are. You know. <laughs> <laughs> those are dramatic moments that you really can't get with, I think, normal D&D, where characters can willingly risk aspects of their character. It, yeah, and the other thing, you know, when you're talking about playing with, playing with the tools that the, the character has agreed with, it, which is, you know, <laughs> we're drifting off of pitches yeah. again. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> We forked in the road. Uh, well, but, this is the only time it's ever happened, Jared. So it's yeah, okay. yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> uh, just one exception. 
yeah. um, th- but that's one of the things I really like in um, the the sprawl, which is the cyberpunk play by the uh, Power by the Apocalypse game. Um, they actually have their expansion that is sort of you know the Shadowrunish type you know fantasy yeah. elements brought into cyberpunk. And one of the supplements is more about like eldritch horror than it is about like elves or orcs that are deckers or anything like that. And in there, they did one of the best things that I've seen that is to me better than trying to tell someone they have a specific type of mental illness that is actually diagnosed, which is not good. And that is you pick your character's coping mechanisms. So when things get too stressful, you have a coping mechanism and you do this thing. And it's usually a thing that is going to make you less useful to the rest of the group because you're doing this thing. But that's what you do when you get so stressed out and you're in the face of something that just seems wrong and insurmountable and is kind of breaking your brain. Well, you know, that's interesting because I've not heard that, but that sounds a lot like what Blades in the Dark does for you to recover. Yeah. Not exactly, but still pretty close where you have certain things that you need to do in order to uh, a vice, but they don't always mm-hmm. have to be negative. But but the problem is anything good, you can't overindulge. Yeah. If you overindulge in anything, there's a potential for <laughs> something to not go the way you want it to. Yeah. I, I was like, like one of the vices is like religion. Yeah. I'm just picturing like overindulging in a religion is like preaching to the wrong person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or it could be like you know not to you know pick like a catholics but like the 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 you know some people in certain sects and in certain times would go through this whole uh self uh what's what's what i'm looking for oh uh self-flagellation yeah exactly or they'll go to some extreme <laughs> you know i'm gonna wear a hair shirt for for, for for a month or something like that and i'll be completely uncomfortable i'm going to you know you know, beat myself with a board and bed it with glass, or I mean, just whatever it may be. It's just like, guys, guys I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be uh, not at my best this next mission. I got, a, I got a religion hangover. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I actually I just can't join you guys. I'm, I'm still in prayer. <laughs> or I've taken a vow of silence. Mm-hmm. Or I've taken a vow of something. Or. You know, but, but I think, oh, go ahead. But you no, know, no, I, that's what I like is when you give somebody a flaw or those coping mechanisms or, or whatever, you're kind of giving them a little bit more of, yeah, the game is going to tell you to use this once in a while, but you get to decide, even when you're out of control, you kind of get to decide how you're out of control, which right. is kind of a little more comforting from the player side of things. Because it can be mechanically the same, but it's just flavor. Mm-hmm. So whether you're going on a drinking binge or whether you say, you know what, I got to go off to somewhere and say my, you know, prayers for, for two days or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. and contemplate, you know, my my role in the universe, <laughs> they're both the same. Yeah, you're out of commission. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, that's kind of interesting. So, any other ideas for pitches? Oh goodness, my problem is that the things that keep popping to mind. This is not always the thing that I'm thinking of, but for some reason this morning I keep coming back to that. But the other thing, and this is another Star Trek idea. Okay, I always wanted to have like a special response crew that was just on a runabout. 
and it's not like a captain and a whole starship it's just literally the player characters and a runabout and you know it's it's the situation when they they go you'll have to divert the enterprise here because there's no other ships in you know in range but instead it's like okay we don't really need a full starship we just need people that have some degree of competency so we're just going to send this special response you know runabout to go deal with this situation and you have a small crew of people that all have their you know their specialties and then you go deal with the situation so are you still thinking in um terms of star trek adventures are you thinking about other systems i am kind of but the thing that you don't get to do if you're doing that special response team is having like one of the things in star trek adventures is you actually have npcs that other people can play when their character isn't in the scene and that's kind of built into the system but you wouldn't have that with this kind of special response thing so it's almost like patching it back to being a more traditional rpg and honestly this is an idea i had back when i was thinking of older star trek games you know that were a little bit more you always play this character you know this is your character so cortex uh prime they have uh hammerheads oh yeah i I really want to play that but (laughs) that's a similar thing though isn't it oh yeah that is basically like uh, an ecological disaster response team that has their specialized ship and they go and there's like, you know, mudslides. And then you kind of figure out how you're going to save people and what you're going to do to, you know, fix the situation. And then there might be forest fire somewhere else. So you fly off and do that. So, yeah, that is kind of on a planetary basis. That is kind of a similar concept. It, to me, I I think between the TV series, kind of makes me think of Star Wars. If, if I were to run an Episode Four style game, uh, Fate seems to be the best fit. Mm-hmm. But then, if you were to run like Rogue One, it does seem like uh, that uh, the FFG uh, Rebellion <laughs> would be the way to go. Mm-hmm. And it's like they're all in the same universe, but they all have kind of a different sort of feel about them. Yeah, I, um, my group, when we were talking about this at one point in time, when we were thinking of doing like an Old Republic style game, um, we were talking about how even though we liked the FFG thing, we were really looking at a Star Wars hack of PBTA to do that just because the Old Republic was a little more you know sometimes sith could figure out how to do this thing where they blew up a star with just their force powers and you know there were things like that going on it's it's a more mythic era so it's more open-ended on some of the the things that could happen right kind of going back to everything being possible but maybe almost more literally with certain characters anything yeah yeah so you're not sitting here going well I don't know what the what horse tree I need to go down to. Uh. <laughs> but it does seem to me, though, when you do pick a system, uh, it, it I think so. Like something like a hammerhead style game would be fun, mm-hmm. but I think long term, it doesn't necessarily is as fulfilling with character wise. See, so that is an interesting thing too. Is um, I think, especially among gamers of a certain age. <laughs> yes 
because we were kind of conditioned to think in terms of it might take you years and years to get to ninth level when you're semi-settling down and building fortresses and stuff like that. I I almost think that when we stop and think, this would be a fun game for like six sessions, that we're thinking that that is almost a flaw. And it's like, no, I think that's what this is designed for. <laughs> oh, yeah. In fact, most of my games never last, our yeah. games never last more than eight sessions. Yeah. But it, but there's something, I don't know why, it seems like, and it's maybe just, again, it may be the, the quote-unquote gamers our age, <laughs> or, or of a certain age, we'll just say, that I don't know why, but it, it, it just it feels the more abstract the game is, it's not less fun, but it seems more cartoonish and less... I don't want to say interesting because I think it's interesting and fun, but mm -hmm. it just seems like the characters are less, I don't want to say real, but I'll just use that word for another good reason. They seem <laughs> less real and more like cartoons. Yeah. Or, I mean, even to use, there's, this is, I don't want to go off on a whole other tangent here again, but it's almost like um, recently, this is an interesting contrast because I've been watching the Marvel shows. And then I also watched, you know, Black Widow last night. And there is an interesting contrast between what you show in character backstory and present as important in a movie, which has got to be kind of punchier and, you know, hit the high points while still doing this big overall story versus a series where you're going to take six or eight episodes and actually tell you something more about this character and maybe not even have like a big, big climax. You just kind of have some kind of resolution at the end. And it's, it's almost like the different, you know, it, and even like looking at that, like when you read a novelization of something versus when someone makes a movie or a TV series of something, you get a lot more of the internal, right. You know, life and context that somebody is going through when a situation happens versus you have to be able to understand that stuff from the outside in a movie format or in a television format because nobody wants to sit there while someone thinks to themselves, gee, this is really a pivotal point in my life. I think I'll, I'll do this instead of that, but oh, I am so torn. Yeah. And you'll read that, but you don't want to see it in a, in a TV series. Right. Yeah. And I think, and I, you're right. And they all do kind of serve their own points and purposes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I do think that they all both legitimate, but like, I don't know it. And I, and, but to, to be fair too, it's like, I, th there's a certain level of complexity I don't want in my game. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, maybe if I were to play role master, that character sheet is more complex, but I don't know if it, I'd feel if it's more real than a character. I, I don't know what, what, if there's really a continuum yeah. or there's a binary, but if you have a character that's just three stats, a D six, a D four and a D eight. It, it it still it just doesn't feel quite the same i don't mm -hmm. know why that is well and it's it's interesting because it's been another thing that i'm looking at because i i might um i might be playing in a numenera game coming up Ooh. and and that is a game where player characters definitely have more going on than any npcs mechanically oh yes because oh, you can yes. literally have an npc that is just it's a level three character well, what I noticed is when I ran it, I just I could hand write 
in big letters the 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 creature or the NPC. Mm-hmm. All I need is like a handful of th- wait. Just you need to know the level, maybe an ability or two, mm-hmm. and that's it. Yeah. So I mean, a lot of the complexity there is on the character side, and that's one of those situations where the system is kind of communicating with you, like these people are here for the point of the story, but you're supposed to have a lot of bells and whistles and buttons to push on your end. Yeah, it's. I would say that is a very. Yeah, it's it's very yeah. Now I think about it, it's very much uh, powered by the apocalypse. Is kind of in that same kind of vein mm-hmm. where all everything is really driven by the players' roles. Yeah, and only the players' role. That actually reminded me of another fifth. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Um, I wanted to I wanted to do a cipher system uh, spy type game, and. Because then you could have the ciphers being like the, the Q type, uh, like, look at these experimental things. Because you never see any of those things that Q gives Bond actually becoming standard gear. It's right. always like this one-off, like, look at these things that you could have. And look at this technology that we'll never reference again in later movies. <laughs> um, but you could do that you could do some you know this is part of like me reading in like the car chase rules and stuff like that in there and i was just thinking you know you could do that but this is another case where i think system flavors things i don't think you could do a born type spy thing with cypher that well but you could definitely do like a a wilder Bond story or definitely something more like Triple X or something maybe in between those two? Well, I think you could also, in some ways, it almost seems to play into the cipher system Mm -hmm. where you do have a cipher, it's one use. It can be wildly powerful, but you only get to use it once. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's like these gadgets that, you know, Bond happens to pick up. It's like, it's not relevant till it's relevant. Once it's relevant, it does a whole lot in that scene. Yeah, exactly. Like, who would think of having a car that you hit a button and these, uh, like, roller teeth pop out of the hood ornament, and it's used <laughs> to cut a cable that's strung across <laughs> yes. the uh, parking deck, and, but only cables at that certain height. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I picked that option in this car. Oh, goodness. See, <laughs> so now I'm also thinking of a speed racer uh, thing here, too. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, I picked these extensions that let us jump the car, but not like jump as a ramp. It just like yeah. pivots, you know, pistons the car over. The- <laughs> I think in many ways, uh, I think the <clears throat> yet certain games, excuse me, <clears throat> like uh, D&D, it seems like it's pretty well designed and set up. And, but if you do kind of throw in something big, it can upset everything. Yeah. Especially I think maybe more so with later editions. Mm -hmm. So earlier editions, you could probably get away with giving a first level character of Warple sword. They've only still only have like six hit points and yeah, you know, <laughs> they can't get too cocky. This will hurt you more than it hurts me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It might be kind of fun. Like somebody, I can't remember who was 
was you was putting like starting out the game with giving the uh, the party the wand of yeah. Orcus. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I thought the same thing. Why wouldn't you just give something? You know, just see what because they're both. It is both overpowering, but it also brings its own level of complexity. Yeah. Because you're not also at the level to be able to handle the people that are wanting to come after yeah. the, the Wand of Orcus. If we show people that we have this thing, this is a really bad thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's kind of cool to have a nuclear bomb in the back of your truck, but on the other <laughs> hand, it's like, do I really want to have a nuclear bomb in the back of my truck? <laughs> There's got to be a way to leverage this. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is yet. Without killing me, <laughs> all my loved ones. and. Uh, <laughs> I have a feeling this is really big, but I just can't figure it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think those are options that are uh, legit. And I think like Numenera is really set up. I think they, so some of the stuff they give is pretty powerful, but because it's a one shot, I mm-hmm. think it, it works itself out. And I think also a lot of times the stuff that they give you may be kind of powerful, but it's also just kind of weird. And also allows you creative ways of thinking about using a thing rather than just a straightforward, like, you know. I, I was listening to an actual play um, podcast called The Amber Clave, where the GM gave them uh, a cipher that would create a volcano. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, eventually they had something where I, I think it would have been much simpler for them to resolve the situation without creating a volcano on that but, site but, but i think but it's what's known did. in literary circles as chekhov's volcano yeah, yeah it's like <laughs> we got to use this at some point before right. the end of this campaign what? and what's funny is now they wrapped up the the season with those characters and the second season is characters trying to like deal with this community that's popped up over this volcano that was generated <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that I uh, I was in a game with Merle Rasmussen, and we were in South America. I had to deal with something, and he just he gave us items that we pass around as character as players, and uh, it maybe it was just written on a card. I can't remember if they were props. Maybe there's some of them were props, but I wound up with a briefcase of plutonium, and I really tried hard to find a way to make a dirty bomb the whole entire game. It's like you. you you give somebody, you know, one was like a briefcase full of diamonds, you know, just like <laughs> odds and ends. You got a briefcase full of diamonds. What are you going to do with it? You know, it's, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> but, but you think about like you got a briefcase full of diamonds, but exactly, you know, especially in the modern world, like how do you leverage that? Yeah. It, it, it's not like cash. But it's still valuable, you know, yeah. so it's just it's just, you know. You walk around paying people in diamonds? Probably not. But uh, so anyway, yeah, I think the idea is where you can give people extraordinary items in a way that doesn't break the game. Mm -hmm. And I think some systems do a better job with those types of things than others. Yeah. And I I do like that idea of giving people wealth, but they basically have to find the proper fence for it or a way to, you know... It's that, you know, the actual wealth itself is the problem. Yeah, exactly. You're, it is it, almost it, like the Wand of Orcus. If we spend this, yes, exactly. people will know that we have it. Yes. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. You know, I think maybe, I think, I think that's maybe the, uh, not to assign you uh, a, a uh, 
a thing to do, but maybe that's the first level adventure for for fifth edition. <laughs> oh my gosh! Here, here you go. Maybe the idea is you, the idea is that you create the wand of orca scenario, but in such a way that it it can be dropped in anybody's uh, in anybody's campaign, and all it is is a list of complications and NPCs <laughs> and devices. Or you even have like the gated power where it's like, once you do this, all of these other things will trigger. But this thing that you could do is very tempting. Oh, yeah. So you could go through, <laughs> you could list the powers of the Wand of Orcus. And, and also, instead of just like a spell doing a thing, like, I don't know what, I can't remember all the things it does, but maybe yeah. whatever it does is a very dramatic way it does it. Mm-hmm. You know, and will draw attention. Well, I was going to say, I actually, because because I'm uh, an evil person that ran this, like, in high school, I did have characters that found the Wand of Orcas once. <laughs> and and that was back in the day when you randomly rolled for some of the artifacts. Yeah, powers. yeah. And one of them that it had was when you touch someone with it, they had to save or their flesh became liquefied and just float off. <laughs> I think that's good enough for me. <laughs> like, oh, that's ooh. <laughs> We've just made a mess. <laughs> did, did that happen in Guardians of the Galaxy with uh with No, uh, that was in it was in Ragnarok. Ragnarok, they had yeah. The, the sticks that turn people to goo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ew, I didn't know I didn't mean to turn them into <laughs> Why do you jump straight to that? <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. my goodness! <laughs> yeah. So I yeah I think there's opportunities. It, it might be fun to think of ways you can just give extraordinary artifacts to to characters mm -hmm. and just see what sort of chaos ensues. You know, uh, that actually struck me because now I have my empathy hat on. This uh, flipped me around to the other direction. I have seen people pitch things that I haven't wanted to play. Because I don't trust that their pitch communicates to me that they could follow through on what they want to do. Like, right. um, you, you're, you've seen some, some winter war pitches, right. You know, in, in my local area, we have a lot of, um, um, let us say grognards that are part of, you know, the winter war community because, it's been going forever and the same people have, you know, and there are so many pitches that are like, this is D and D, but I'm going to do this wacky thing with it. And I'm, I read it and I'm like, I've played a D and D. I don't know that it will do that that well. And I don't trust your right. ability in a pitch to come up with modifications to the system that I would enjoy to make that pitch work. Or what it just says system homebrew. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah. That's that's a that's a red flag for me. If if you go up to uh the Forge Midwest, that is a lot of it is mm -hmm. but that's what you're doing. You're going up to people who are designing games. Yes. Not yeah. not as a Bob who's you know Yeah, that's a yeah, I would love sometime to go like to Metatopia and to playtest games. And you know, the whole thing with Metatopia is that it's just people you know, that are running their games to get feedback from people on what to do. And sometimes, 
you're going there and not necessarily playing a scenario you're playing a scene just to see how the mechanics work together yeah and then having like this breakout session where you talk about what worked and what didn't work. I love that. But uh, yeah, like I said, I don't trust somebody that, that's just throwing this blurb in there yeah. saying <laughs> custom system. <laughs> We're all going to play an octopus that, uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> changes you know, time. And- so the thing is, is I know, uh, I can't help. My, I mean, my, my, my fatal flaw is, I will see a game and I'll think, you know, that's really cool, but it'd be work better in a different system. Mm-hmm. And, but I also don't have the, I don't know they got the level of hubris to actually like promote that into, you know, yeah. strangers. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's like, yeah. That's a, anytime that I try yeah. and encapsulate a story for a blurb in a convention, it's going to be, here is this type of story you normally see told in this genre. And that's what I'm going for. Not here is this type of genre. And here is this thing that's wildly inappropriate for this genre. Trust me, it'll work. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think the idea too, it's like, you know, especially with D and D it's, I think there's always a certain amount of varying amounts of, well, I mean, it's not true. I would say there's probably a certain amount of like house rules, but I think that's probably less so with later editions. Yeah. Than with earlier editions. So, cause that's the whole idea is you codified rules mm-hmm. or they did. So I was going to say, well, early editions, you, that was kind of the expectation early on. They would say this and this, this and this, and this and this and this and this. And you'd be like, okay. Well, the funny thing is, is between zero edition D and D and even AD and D, there were things you almost had to not include because they weren't explained well enough for you to actually use them because oh, yeah. how they worked made sense to the person that wrote them. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think AD and D was written. What's that term? An exquisite corpse <laughs> where a person would draw a certain thing. And then the other person would start the drawing, uh-huh. not seeing where the previous one was. And then another person would draw. And then you look yeah. at the whole thing and it's like, wow, that's crazy. It's like, they call it an exquisite corpse. And that's kind of what the DM's guide was. It's just all these rules that Gary's like, Oh, I got some room. I only throw in these rules. Psionic. <laughs> sure. Throw in these rules. They work with anything else. Don't know. Don't care. It's just like, grappling well, rules. Do these work? Don't know. Don't care. And, and the thing is back then, nothing was really marked as optional. Right. But then when you would talk to people, like if you talk to Gygax, he'd be like, yeah, I don't use that. Yeah. <laughs> I just put it in there because it seemed cool. And it's like, but people reading this will think that that's something that you had to do. But yeah. then again, you reach that point where it's like, I can't do it because I don't understand how it works. <laughs> yeah, and I think we're, we're now in an age where it's pretty clear that uh, uh, the, the reverence for the Gygax uh, name Ooh. and Oh, Thou Shalt. And, this, and, this, this particular uh, <laughs> last couple of weeks, and, and especially. <laughs> like, I... I understand, you know, to a certain degree, I'm very, very, very thankful for um, the stuff that Gary wrote back in the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. It was a foundational for a lot of things, but, but my goodness, the adulation for just having a name and bearing yeah. that name is crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. 
Well, and you know, this is the other thing. And a slightly more reverent note, um, I can appreciate Stan Lee and Jack Kirby for what they did, but the reason I love Fantastic Four is because of the the John Byrne things that I read later on. Right. The reason I love the X-Men is because of the Chris Claremont things that I read later on. Right. It's not because of necessarily their stories, you know? Right. And These I could kinda... not have existed without them. Yeah. But. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I agree. And also, uh, it, it's, so I've gotten the, the unlimited uh, Marvel Limited. Uh huh. So I've not really, other than graphic novels, on occasion at the, from the library, I've not really read comics for thirty years. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, I start out with the er, Jack Kirby Eternals, and then <laughs> kind of stop partway, and then I start to read more modern ones. And I realize the text boxes are gone in most of the modern ones. Mm-hmm. There's a whole lot less exposition going on in modern comics than there were back in the yeah. '60s and '70s. It is structured a lot more like almost like a television series now. Like once in a while, you'll get like a framing box that says that gives you some context to the scene, and that's about it. But I think on one hand, I think it's better. But on the other hand, it's like if I were paying five dollars for this comic book and I flip through it in (laughs) ten minutes, I'd be a little upset. (laughs) (laughs) You have experienced what some uh, comics readers call decompression. Yeah. Where a story that used to take one issue now takes six issues. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because of the way it is written in the modern era. (laughs) Yeah, so as far as the the Marvel Limited, it's not a problem. You know what I mean? It's just just like flip, flip, flip. Okay, flip, flip, flip. Okay, flip, flip, flip. But but anyway, uh, yeah, so there's definitely improvements that have been made in storytelling. You know, there was a cost. But again, it's, it's, I think... Looking back, it's, I find it harder to read some of the older comics that I used to not have a problem. Yeah, reading. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, definitely. Like if I can read like a Bronze Age comic now, and it's sort of like I get it because they're trying to touch on more real world issues and make this more realistic. But wow, is it like very melodramatic? Like <laughs> you went from the Silver Age upfront earnest, you know, I am doing this because I saved the world, and this is a ridiculous situation. To the Bronze Age. If I save the world, what does this mean for this? And what other issues could possibly treat you know? And you get like all of this yeah. like internal monologue about you know. Yes, they're saying it out loud. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like I understand this is for me, and I understand Jack that you have to put the <laughs> entire previous five hundred years of history into seven panels. But uh, the the weirdest thing for me, and again, like I said, I you know I greatly revere the ideas that stan lee and jack kirby had for things but the first time i ever saw dark side i was very fascinated by him and it was in the the superpowers uh spinoff comic which is you know like to market an action figure line and there's this little thing that says this happened because of the hunger dog graphic novel so I went into like our local bookstore and started looking through the Hunger Dog graphic novel. And you want to talk about drinking from a fire hose because this whole thing is like the culmination of everything that Kirby has done with all the fourth world people and there being this uprising on apocalypse with all of the people, you know, like basically, you know, rising up to overthrow Darkseid and all of this stuff going on. And it's like, I don't know what's going on anywhere. Like I have a feeling it's very important and it's very deep and it's very mythological. 
but I am also lost. <laughs> well, to be honest, you know, going back or getting unlimited was some of the modern stuff. I can't really delve into unless it's like a single series. Like mm-hmm. I thought I'll just read this, this, this new mutants. It's like, there's so much going on. It's like, it's not the same new mutants and, and it's expecting a lot of history. Yeah. And it's just like, it's pretty much impossible to easily jump into any majors. I shouldn't say any major, but it is a, is a thing. But, but I think going back, it's like, you know, I think the, uh, many of the clones, the OSR clones have, have definitely looked at what Gygax did and cleaned things up. Oh yeah. Yeah. And made it a much more approachable, logical, reasonable, balanced system. Oh yeah. I would, if I was going to play like a very old school thing, I would much rather play something like the, uh, swords and sorcery white box or swords and wizardry white box than, you know, literally playing, (laughs) <laughs> yeah the only t- the only time you play the except i think the bx probably is still works fine uh, but 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 gagax didn't touch that <laughs> yeah oh that's see that's the other thing I, I think even some people that have this weird reference for the gagax name don't realize all of the things that he didn't actually have anything to do with <laughs> right <laughs> he's kind of like george lucas i think <laughs> Uh, I, I give Lucas a little bit more credit for some of the stuff, but yeah, I mean, but I mean, the idea is they had a very, uh, of course, man, so, it, so I think there's a lot of things that Lucas did that was, you know, was original and good, but really his initial Star Wars was really a combination of other genres, other stuff he's yes. done, plus other people being directly involved in that movie and the yes. editing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not so much. Um, it, it was the fact that people would push back on him at different points and say, George, don't do this. <laughs> right. <laughs> I want to play this entire scene for comedy. No, you're going to kill the whole mood of this. Thing. Yeah, exactly. Just don't do it. So, and, like, and I think I'm thankful for Lucas, mm-hmm. but I don't, I, I think right now, I think uh, who's the, the guy that's taken over. Um, um, Filoni is doing a lot of the creative stuff. I'm much more excited since yeah. Filoni's taken over. I, mm-hmm. I actually feel good about. I know. there is a part of me because there is there are aspects of it that I like, and it becomes almost reflexive for people to make fun of the prequels. And I agree, they are not well made, and they are not as well made as the original trilogy. But I would actually really love to see what those trilogies would have looked like if he had somebody that was strong enough to stand up to him and say, look, I'm not going to tell you how to do this, but don't do this. You will not direct this movie, George Lucas. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think it's also coaching to point out that the movie in the original trilogy, he had the least to do with was empire strikes back. Yeah. (laughs) I think even though I do love episode four more, I think it's probably more has to do with nostalgia and maybe a few other things Mm -hmm. and has nothing to do with it being a better written movie. Yeah. And directed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because again, you wouldn't have the rest of them without a new hope, you know? But I also think the, to me, if you just, what I think would be interesting is just take the, if you just take a new hope and then if that's all you had, I think there is so much fun 
the amount of energy and fun that's in it is like um, it's amazing well if you what's interesting too is if you just kind of want to see the inertia that it it generated read some of the old marvel comics that were you know published after just a new hope when they really didn't know the only thing that lucasfilm was telling them was they would submit script ideas and lucasfilm would say stay away from this you know and that's that's literally it they didn't know anything at all about what was coming up in the movies other than that you know somebody at lucasfilm would say yeah i probably don't do this oh, is that kind of like <laughs> agents of shield yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you got some wild stuff in there with some people that were like long-term comics creators that kind of got their chance to do like swashbuckling uh sci-fi when it wouldn't like genre wise that was an era when everyone was doing superheroes in comics so and that actually let yeah. some people do this kind of swords and planet you yeah. know swashbuckling sci-fi that they wouldn't have got to do if it wasn't star wars so here's my pitch jared okay <laughs> star wars uh new hope uh maybe just do it as a as a one shot but it could be out and it be done in steampunk in the real world <laughs> that i mean that could definitely be interesting um for a second i i was thinking star wars and fantasy but that's willow but uh, yeah yeah but the yeah exactly but like the, the tattooing could be the sahara desert mm-hmm. or it could be you know and you could do the same types of of locations but be real world locations, but in a, in a, in a steampunk universe, which almost like it, not quite, but it almost like starts pulling in the uh, Indiana Jones vibes. Yeah. So I've never done it, but that's, that would be my pitch. <laughs> and sometimes I hope if I throw enough pitches out that somebody will actually make it. No one's swinging at these pitches. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my i've never made a good uh tom sawyer uh unfortunately <laughs> uh, yeah painting this this uh this fence is fun so nobody's, nobody's <laughs> bought that. wouldn't yeah, you so like to do this it's so much fun okay no, I well can't I, let you. I think we're hitting the time space continuum here jared yeah <laughs> So uh, I'll keep having new ideas. And, uh, alrighty, we'll have, we'll have a pitch clank. Uh, I, I'll, I'll, uh, we got, I got some pitches too, so we'll, we'll say that for another time. All right, as we throw stuff at each other. Yes, <laughs> two pitchers, no batters. Exactly, it's a new kind of game. It's a game that goes on forever, and nobody wins. It's like catch, but one person just isn't on board. Exactly. <laughs> Okay, well, thanks again, Jared. Yeah, <laughs> it's good having you here. It's good having you here. Yeah, on your well, it's good being there. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for having me on your yes. show. Yes. <laughs> Until next time. Bye.